Good morning, brothers and sisters, and greetings in the worthy name of Jesus. He is the one who gives us the strength to make good decisions in life. This morning we're going to be thinking about decisions that we must make in life. And as we go throughout the course of this sermon, there's one question that sort of undergirds it all, and that is, where am I going? Where am I going? Another question that I want to ask you that you can ponder throughout this message is, if you get where you are going, where will you be? If you get where you are going, where will you be? A couple verses before we move into the text. One from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 29. And these are some of the last words of Moses. And you understand that last words are important words. On their deathbed, people don't usually ask you know, did you feed the cat or, you know, don't forget to water that flower. <laughs> no, but they, they speak words of great importance, words that, that come from the very depth of who they are and what their deepest desires are, what's truly important to them. And so here is Moses towards the end of his life, and he says this to the children of Israel, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. And then in Psalms 39, we have a similar cry from the psalmist here, verse 4, where he says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. And so the thrust of both of these verses is that of as we consider the future, we must then make wise decisions. We must consider our future in the decisions that we make. There's a direct connection between the two, our decisions and our future. And so I've chosen this title for the message this morning, Decisions That Determine Destiny. Decisions that determine destiny. I invite you to Matthew chapter 7 for our text this morning. Looking at verses 13 through 27. And here we have the very end of perhaps the greatest sermon that was ever preached. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And once again, it's, you could say it's sort of last words. Jesus is wrapping up this, this great sermon. And this is how he ends it. He ends it by bringing to the people's attention decisions that must be made in life. Decisions that determine destiny. Matthew 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because, or but, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, 
and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now as I look across this gathering here this morning, I see a, a group of people from a variety of ages... And you are all making decisions. Whether you're just the age of Colin or even younger, you know, to the age of Brother Ben and others as well that are older, you're making decisions. In fact, life is full of decisions, and we make countless of them every day. Now, many have no real bearing on our eternal destiny. <laughs> Take, for example, whether you choose sausage or pepperoni on your pizza, <laughs> or whether you wear Nikes or Adidas, or whether you wear a black belt or a brown belt, or which side of your head you part your hair on. <laughs> Many of the decisions that we make every day have no bearing on our eternal destiny. And then there are other decisions that we make and I refer to these decisions as directional decisions. Because these decisions have the power to change the course of our life. Directional decisions. Decisions like who my group of friends is. Decisions like the job I choose. Decisions like what church I will be a part of. Decisions like who I will date, who I will marry. Decisions like what I read, the music I listen to. Directional decisions because these decisions have the power to change the course of our life. They're influential decisions, you could say. Here in Matthew chapter 7, we have a passage of pairs. I don't know if you noticed that as we were reading down through here. 
a passage of pairs. We have two gates, two roads. We have two trees. Or, as we move through the message, you'll see that it speaks of two voices, perhaps. We have two wills. We have two foundations, two builders. It's a passage of pairs. And each pair in this passage is symbolic of a choice, of a decision that we must make. In fact, a decision that we will make in life. In each pair, the one decision equals life. And the other decision equals death. But it's not obvious at first glance. And I want you to note that. In each of these sets of pairs, it's not obvious at first glance that the one decision equals death. Look at the first pair. Verses 13 and 14. You have a wide gate. There's many on this way. A broad way. People look happy. There's a lot of glitter. There's a lot of glamour. People are laughing. People are having fun. And yet, what does the scripture say? It leads to destruction. And truly, this broad way, it may look rather bright at first, but dear people, don't be deceived because the longer you go down that broad way, the darker it becomes. And the world is full of people who are now in bondage, are enslaved to Broadway and can't find a way out. There is a way out, but it's a very dark path now. In contrast to that, you have this narrow gate. You have the narrow way. And perhaps at the beginning, it looks maybe a bit lonely. There's not many people on that way. It doesn't have as much glamour or glitter, perhaps. And yet, the scripture says it leads to life. In fact, you will know by experience, those of you who have walked with the Lord, that the longer you walk down the narrow way, the brighter it becomes. Sweeter gets the journey every day it becomes brighter. Note the deception in the next pair in verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets. But see, that's not how they come. <laughs> they don't come as false prophets. When they step in, they don't look like ravening wolves. It says, they come to you in sheep's clothing. Everything looks fine. They're dressed right. They speak pretty. They have an appearance of, of good religion. But the scripture says, beware of false prophets. They are ravening wolves. 
that speaks of destruction. That speaks of death as well. Note the pair of wills that we find in verses 21 through 23. People that are serving. People that are active in the church. They're helping out with the various projects in the church. They're on various committees, perhaps. They're doing a lot of things. They're a member. And yet, what does it say? There's something foundational that is missing, and that is there's no relationship with the Lord Jesus. What looks to be right is, in fact, deadly. And then last, we have this pair of, of houses. Now, what a beautiful place to build your house, right on the beach. I mean, wouldn't you like to live on the beach? What a beautiful setting. How nice that would be. And as you look at these two houses, it doesn't strike you at first glance that there is some huge problem. However, as a result of the storm, you can see the huge difference. The one house is still standing, and the one house is demolished. No, it wasn't obvious at first glance, but something very foundational was missing, and that was the foundation. I say, in each of these pairs, there is deception wrapped up in that. We're talking about decisions that determine destiny. And so let's go through this and let us consider four decisions that we must make. Four decisions that we must make in life. And the first is, in verses 13 and 14, we must choose which way we will go. We must choose which way we will go. Once again, there's two gates. There's two roads. Anytime there's two, that speaks of a choice. You must make a decision. Which way will you go? Once again, one leads to life. One leads to death. The choice is yours. Which will you choose? And so we could choose the way of Broadway. We could choose Broadway. And you'll notice once again that Broadway is convenient. The entrance is wide and easy to find. In other words, you're naturally inclined to go there. You just, by lack of intention, by lack of purpose in life, by lack of convictions in life, you will end up on Broadway. Why? Because it's the easy way. We're just naturally inclined to end up on Broadway. It feels right. It just feels right. And so it's convenient. We also note that it's crowded. Broadway is crowded. The majority of people today are on Broadway. There's many on this road. Now I want you to note this, this sobering um, thing here in verses 13 and 14. In verse 13, we have the word destruction, and then right after it, we have many. And then in verse 14, we have life, but then we have the word 
few. The scripture says that many are on the way that leads to destruction. How could so many good and beautiful and smart and perhaps well-meaning people be wrong? <laughs> how, could they per how could they possibly be wrong? People would think. I mean, the majority are on that way. And I believe you know this, and that is that the majority isn't always right. But let me just reinforce that in your mind again. The majority is not always right. Once again, the scripture says that the way which leads to life, there's just a few in comparison. There's just a few on that way. But here's a few interesting illustrations from history that tell us and reinforce in our mind once again that the majority isn't always right. Now, you might have learned in school that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Okay, well, that's true. <laughs> but do you know that in 1492, the majority of people believed that the earth was flat? And so they thought when, when Columbus went out sailing that, that this was a very stupid idea that after he goes a ways, he's going to go off the end, okay? Well, we know from history that the majority was wrong, okay? The earth is round. Majority was wrong. In 1842, a man took a bath in a bathtub full of hot water. Now, doctors predicted that this would cause rheumatism and inflammation of the lungs. <laughs> and in fact, in the city of Philadelphia, they prohibited taking baths in hot water during the cold months of the year. Well, we know now that the majority was wrong, okay? In 1903, the Wright brothers said that, that they could fly a machine through the air. And the majority of people laughed them to scorn, scoffed at them. This could never happen. And yet, uh, today, when we go outside and see a, a big jetliner or see Ivan or someone else flying through the air, we know that the majority was wrong. The majority also said many years ago that if, if, you would, if a person would drive more than 15 miles an hour in a vehicle, it would kill them. It would suck the air right out of them. <laughs> well, we've all went a bit faster than that, and we're still alive, okay? The majority is not always right. Just a few interesting illustrations from history. But, dear people, the majority of people today are also wrong in their attitude towards Jesus Christ. And they're wrong in the decisions of life that matter the most. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, we read, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. In other words, there is a way that seems right to our natural inclination, our natural human mind. There's a way that, seems, that feels good. There's a way that we're inclined to just naturally go in life. But the wise man said that that way leads to death. And Jesus echoed that here in Matthew 7. And so we must choose to 
to join the few and the faithful minority that are traveling on the narrow road. Now, that's a little bit about Broadway. That's a choice that many make. But then the other choice is Straight Street, okay? We have Straight Street. And Straight Street is a road that you won't just happen upon. Neither will you just happen to get to heaven one day. No, no one will happen to get to heaven. But it takes determination. It takes purpose. It takes a striving after. And in fact, in Luke chapter 13, in Luke's um, rendition of these verses, we read in, in verses 24, 23 and 24 of Luke 13. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Strive to enter in, Jesus said. Or make every effort to enter in. This is not the way that will just come easy or come natural. This will take perseverance. This will take daily work. This is a journey. Strive, Jesus says, to enter in at the straight gate. And so, the narrow way, straight street, will never be a popular decision. In fact, there are only a few on this road. And this is sometimes a rather lonely road. But dear people, on this road, you will find Jesus Christ. And on this road, you will find joy. And on this road, you'll find peace. You'll find victory on this road. No, it's, it's never going to be popular to turn your back on the world. It's never going to be popular, young people, to go against the flow and live a holy life. It will never be popular, but it will always pay because it's the way that leads to life. <clears throat> there are many people who say that, that God's way is too narrow. They'll say the way of the Bible is, is just too strict. I mean, I mean, give me a break. Loosen up a little bit. They'll say the same thing about the church and the standard of the church. It's too strict. I find it interesting, though, that the same people will gladly take the narrow way of the world. For example, think of a young man who desires to become a doctor. Okay? He aspires to become a doctor. And he may have a mentor or a parent or an older one that says, Now, now listen, Charles. You understand what it takes to become a doctor. You understand the years that go into such a pursuit. You understand that you will go, have to go into debt greatly in order to achieve this. This is, this is a huge thing. Do you understand what this will mean? And Charles said, yeah, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Or think of a young lady who, who desires to become a, a concert pianist, okay? And, and her dad and mom say, now, now, little Susie, 
I mean, do you understand how much, how much practice this is going to take? I mean, this is going to take daily commitment. Practice your piano every day, not just for a few minutes. I mean, you will have to put your life into this. It's going to take a tremendous amount of discipline. And little Susie says, yeah, but it's going to be worth it. She's thinking of sitting up there on, you know, Carnegie Hall stage playing, you know. It's going to be worth it. Now, in a similar light, I want you to think of, of a young person who desires to give their heart to the Lord, okay? They're ready to commit their heart to Christ. And the preacher may say, now, now son, you must know what it means to become a disciple of Christ. You must count the cost. You need to understand that, that this is going to take endurance, perseverance. You will, get, you will have to give up a lot of things that are important to you now. You will have to fight daily against the flesh and choose against your will to serve the Lord. This is not going to be an easy road. And let me tell you people that if, if that young fella is wise, he will say, but count me in. Count me in because it will be worth it all. You see, it will be worth it all. It is in the narrow way of life uh, that we find the truest blessings because it is the way that leads to life. It is the way that leads to life. And so we have a choice to make. We have a decision to make, and that is which way will we go? I trust that, that your decision is that I have decided to follow Jesus, and I'm not turning back. I mean, I don't care if anyone joins me or not. I have decided to take the narrow way, no turning back. Now, secondly, we have another decision to make, and that is we must choose who we will listen to. We must choose who we will listen to in life. And that's verses 15 through 20. Here it speaks of, of these false prophets that come to you. And it speaks then about these trees. Okay, but, but both times, the picture is that, that what you see, what you see initially may look okay. There's nothing that, that immediately says, whoa, I'm sin, I'm terrible, I'm leading to destruction, who wants to come with me? No, you're not going to see that, at least not up front. But... There are so many voices as we think about who we must listen to, choices about who we will listen to. There's so many voices out there today that are calling for our attention. Pick me, pick me, buy into me, buy into me. Who will you choose? Who will you choose to listen to? And make no mistake about it, who and what we choose to listen to has an eternal impact on our soul. It does. It has an eternal impact on our soul. And when I say who we listen to, as we, as we go through this point of listening, I'm, I'm thinking of the things that we absorb in life, the influences that we allow into our lives. So when I say listen, I'm also talking about the things that we see, what we look at, what we hear, what we look at, what we absorb through life. Beware of false prophets or watch out. Be on your guard against 
false prophets. And then Jesus goes on to say that by their fruits you shall know them, or by their actions. Study them. Study them carefully. By their way of life, you will understand who they really are. And so, as we do this, we must use much spiritual discernment. Once again, there's deception wrapped up in this. We must compare these things, whether it's music or reading material or, or you name it. We must compare that with Scripture. Is it consistent with the truth of Scripture? And, and think of maybe different speakers or writers or mus musicians. We must also observe their following. Is their following, is their teaching producing a following that is Christ-like? Is it producing a culture of Christ-likeness? Now, as we think about choosing who we must listen to, who we will listen to, I want us to consider here that there is a chain of command that is vitally important. There is a chain of command that we dare not overlook or, or brush under the rug as if it's nothing. And this is the chain of command. From the ear, to the mind, to the life, to the destiny. Or we could say ear or eye, okay? the things we listen to, absorb. Ear, mind, life, destiny. I say it's a chain of command in life. You see, who or what we listen to dictates what we think about. And what we think about directs how we act, how we live. And how we live determines our destiny. And now, make no mistake about it, what I just said, you won't hear in a lot of mainstream Christian circles today. They refuse to believe that, which is, which is very difficult to understand, because secular psychologists will tell you that there's a direct connection between what we soak in and how we act. I mean, just look in the newspaper. Look at the, look at the people who, who are committing crimes and all that. Secular psychologists know that. But for some reason, mainstream Christianity wants to refuse that. They won't believe it. That there's a direct connection between what we take in and how we act and how we live, which then determines our final destiny. Someone has paraphrased Proverbs 4.23 in this way. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. You see, your mind will dwell on the things that you listen to. What we allow into our hearts and minds through our ears, through our ears, through our eyes, through our ears, has the power to increase our faith or cause it to wane. The things which we consciously or even subconsciously give our time and attention to will either reinforce our relationship with the Lord or will break it down. It's that serious. It really is, dear people. And so that brings us to Philippians 4, verse 8, where we read, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, 
If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, absorb these kind of things into your life. Once again, make every effort. <laughs> Strive to do it. Because it won't come natural. Think on these things. And the key to doing this is found, is found in Colossians 3.16 where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's the foundation upon which good thinking is built. Good thinking is always grounded in truth. It's always grounded in truth. And so, I want to challenge you, dear people, to put all of your listening, all of your absorbing, through the filter of Philippians 4, verse 8. Put it through that filter. We talk about filters sometimes these days. Well, the Bible talks about filters too, okay? But filter all of your hearing, all of your seeing, through Philippians 4, verse 8. Think about your reading habits. Think about the music you listen to. Think about the conversations you have with your friends. Think about the time that you spend online. Think about the time that you spend on social media. Put all of that through the filter of Philippians 4, verse 8. Is it producing godliness in your life? Or is it causing you to, to compromise? Is it causing you to, to, to wane away, as it were, from the truth? Are these things consistent with this command of Scripture to think on these things? Does your listening diet reinforce or strengthen your desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do the voices that you choose to listen to help you continually choose the narrow way? Or do they water down your resolve? Does what you feed on encourage you to honor the commitment that you have made to your local church standard? Is, does what you feed on help you, assist you in that? And so once again, you have a choice to make. Will it be one that produces life or will it be one that leads to death? A choice that we must make. Another choice we must make in life is we must choose whether or not to do God's will. We must choose whether or not we will do God's will. We note that here in verses 21 through 23. The sooner we realize that the Christian life is a battlefield, the better off we'll be. The better off we'll be. You know, every day there is an intense battle that is waging between the flesh and the spirit, and I hope you know that. <laughs> I hope you're well aware of that, because if you don't, you're on a slippery slope, okay? But being a conscientious objector is not an option in this battle. There is no neutral ground. You're either on one side or you're on the other. And I wonder, who are you taking orders from? Who is calling the shots in your life? The scripture makes it clear that, that we must choose whether we will do God's will or not. Whose will will we choose? We will choose one or the other. Which one is it? Which one will it be? 
We don't have much time, but I want to turn quickly to Matthew 16 and just note here this, this battle that is raging. It's an example from Scripture here, specifically between Jesus and Peter. It's a battle that is raging between pursuing the flesh and pursuing the Spirit. And I want us to understand that fleshly appetites will hinder us from doing God's will. Mm-hmm. Fleshly appetites will hinder us from doing God's will. You know, when, when your focus is on your hobby or when you are feeding yourself on, on funny videos or, or romance novels or, or your, your joy in life is your pickup truck or those are your focuses in life, spiritual things will feel a little dull. You're not going to be nearly as excited to come to Bible study or to come to Wednesday evening prayer meeting or, or to read your Bible because, well, compared to that, it's just not quite as exciting. It seems dull. Let me say that fleshly appetites hinder our desire to do God's will. Now, here in Matthew 16, in verse 21, we read that Jesus began to tell the disciples that he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer many things. He's going to be killed and he's going to rise again. And look at the response of Peter. Here Peter responds with a very fleshly kind of response. He says, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall never happen unto thee. Or I can see Peter kind of grabbing Jesus and saying, Wake up, Jesus. I mean... Remember who you are. You're Jesus. You're the Son of God. What are you thinking? How will this, I mean, this can't happen to you. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. And now listen to this. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. In other words, Peter, you are way too fleshly minded. You are not thinking about the greater, the greater realities in life. Your mind is stuck on the here and now. You need an eternal perspective. And I believe in that moment that he was not necessarily calling Peter Satan. As, as Jesus found himself all of a sudden in a fierce temptation, Jesus had come to do the will of the Father. And here Peter... Satan is using Peter, as it were, to, to distract him from that goal, from that mission. And I, I think Jesus is looking straight through Peter and saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. Don't distract me from my mission. He goes on to say to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, note verse 24. Jesus is saying that there is a choice that we must make. And that word there, will, you could say it this way. If any man wills to come after me, if he chooses, if he desires to come after me, this is what it means. This is what it's going to take. It's about counting the cost. And, and through this little discourse here, Jesus is, is saying, take my way. <laughs> Choose me. Choose life. 
Don't choose the way of death. The flesh leads to death. The spirit leads to life. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Nothing. In fact, eternal judgment, damnation. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you willing to give? What really stupid little thing, perhaps, fleshly little thing, physical little thing, is messing you up in life, is stealing your peace from God? What are you willing, what are you giving in exchange for your soul? I trust nothing. Nothing. And so, once again, we have a choice to make. We must choose whether or not we will do God's will. It's a decision, dear people, that determines our destiny. And then, back in Matthew chapter 7, we must choose where we will build. We must choose where we will build. Now, once again, there's two foundations and there's two builders. And let's note these two builders First of all, now, here in this little story here that Jesus tells about these, these carpenters and building their houses, we note that they both heard. They both built. They both faced storms. Now, the one house wouldn't shake, <laughs> and the one house wouldn't stand. What was the difference? Okay, they both heard, both built. Both faced storms, one house wouldn't shake, one house wouldn't stand. What was the difference? The difference, in a physical kind of way, was the foundation. <laughs> the one was built on a rock. The one had a solid foundation. Effort was put into making sure that that house was built right. They didn't want to go to all the work of building the house and then it not last. What a shame that would be. And so effort was made and put into the foundation, and when the storms of life came, that house stood, okay? That was the difference. The other house, well, they had a nice house, and it looked great, and it was in a pretty setting, but it had no foundation. And when that storm came, pew! And true, it was probably built months before. It was completed months before the other house, but it didn't last. It didn't last. Up fast and gone quick. It didn't last. Two foundations, two builders. Now, you understand here that we're not really talking about houses. We're not really talking about builders. We're not really talking about foundations, at least in a physical sense. We're talking about our lives. We're talking about our souls. And Jesus uses this story to help us get an understanding of how we handle truth, how we handle the truth of Scripture. And he says that those who hear, those who absorb the truth and apply it to their everyday lives, they make it their guide and practice for life, they are the ones that are strong. They are the ones that can weather the storms of life. But those who hear, they know, they've heard it, and yet they choose to go their own way. They choose not to make it a rule for their life. Jesus said, they have no depth. Not only that, they will not be able to stand the storms of life. Now, I want us to consider for a moment the story of Lot and the choice that Lot made. You remember that story where, where 
Abraham or Abram at that time and Lot, they were living together and their families were growing, but along with the growing families was growing possessions, that's how it works, and, and along with that was also some growing contentions. Uh, there was strife that was happening in this, in this big family unit. And so Abram said, you know what, we're going to have to split up. Uh, Lot, you're going to have to take yours and go your way and I'll go mine. But being the gentleman that he was, Abram said, Lot, I'm going to give you the first choice, okay? You decide where you want to build your house, as it were. You decide where you want to live and I'll take the other. And so Lot looked around. They stood up there, I can, I can imagine, up on that hillside looking down across the plains. And, and Lot said... I'm going to take over there because it's beautiful. It's going to make great farmland. I can see money growing on all those trees. This is going to really work out well. And so the scripture says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Okay, that was his choice. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. However, we understand that it wasn't long until Lot was actually in Sodom. Okay? It wasn't long before Lot and his family were in Sodom. And Lot was one of the prosperous men of the city. He was sitting with the elderly men there at the gate, as it were. That's where the influential men were. There Lot was and his family. They were in Sodom, which God said was exceedingly wicked. And they were sinners there. Okay? Lot compromised. Lot chose fertile farmland. He, he chose business. He chose fleshly interests over spiritual safety. Lot lacked vision for the future. Lot lacked vision for his family. And the scripture later says that in seeing and hearing, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds there in, in the city of Sodom. And don't think for a moment that he came out unscathed. <laughs> Not at all. But he paid dearly for that. And you remember that, that Lot and his wife and his two daughters, they came running out of Sodom as, as destruction was pouring down. And Lot's wife didn't last real long. She, she couldn't get her eyes off the city and she turned into a pillar of salt. So boom, there goes the wife. And Lot and his daughters kept running and they made it away. But then we know from the rest of the story that Lot's daughters behaved very immorally with their father. And as a result of that, we have the Moabites and the Ammonites, which were two groups of people that were stumbling blocks to the children of Israel for years, wreaked havoc to the children of Israel. You see? But it all goes back, dear people, to the choice that was made by Lot. He had to choose where he's going to build his house. He had to choose where he's going to live, where he's going to raise his family. And so you also have a choice to make. Will you be remembered as a wise man or will you be remembered as a foolish man? It has everything to do with how you handle truth. And that goes directly back here to these last few verses. It has everything to do with what you do with truth. So, where are you going? <laughs> and if you get where you are going, where will you be? I asked you that question this morning. If you get where you are going, where will you be? Now, making decisions makes history. And in fact, our lives are being shaped by the decisions that we are making today. And one day we will all be remembered by the decisions that we made.
That's a very sobering thought. One day we will all be remembered by the decisions that we made. Think of Moses. We remember him for, I'm sorry, Noah. We remember him for his, his strong faith in God and obedience. So did Moses. So did Noah. Just as the Lord had told him, so did he. Faith and obedience. Think of Adolf Hitler. Think of Mother Teresa. Think of, you fill in the blank, we are remembered for the decisions that we made in life. When I think of my grandma good, I think of the decision to live a life of thankfulness. That just rings in my, in my memory when I think of grandma good. We're remembered by the decisions that we made. And so, what decisions are you making today? And are you making decisions that are founded and grounded in the truth of God's word? I want to leave you with a poem. It's one of my favorite poems, actually, and it's, it's not, you won't find it necessarily in the category of religious or spiritual poems, and yet you'll understand that it has a very, very spiritual context, especially in regards to this passage here in Matthew chapter 7. And it's the poem, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverge in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. May God help us to take courage and to join the few and the faithful on the narrow way, the way that leads to life. We'll call for a song.